All right, how are we doing today? We're getting better. We are getting better. This is exciting. Okay, uh, my name is Michael. For you guys who don't know me, and uh, we are pumped that you are here. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. If this is your millionth time, welcome. It, we have like four days like this a year, and the fact that you guys would choose to be here is awesome. Um, we're pumped. We're excited. Hopefully, this is a good night for you. We are ending off our series in 1 John called Life and Distortion. Basically, the whole summary of this story was, uh, of this series is uh, that we were going to kind of say, you know, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to um, actually live this life under his reign, what does that look like in real life? Like, how do you actually do that? So we've kind of walked through the weeks, and Reuben preached last week, which I heard was unreal. And, uh, and one of the things, the results of that was somebody gave their life to Jesus, which is why we have... Which is why we have this beautiful rose, and, uh, and that's what it kind of talks to us about. So as you see this, um, just understand that that is our mission on display week in, week out, is that we are here to see people transformed and following Jesus, and that's exactly what happened. So we are pumped. We are excited. Um, I have no idea where my Bible is. I lost it somewhere, so I just stole one from the back, and we're going to freestyle this thing. Hello. Okay. Uh, First John, chapter Four is where we are going to be. So if you have your Bibles, this is really, really important. If you uh, don't have a Bible, just raise your hand up and the ladies will uh, give you one. You will need it. So we want you to track along. Uh, so if you don't be shy, grab one, take it. And if you don't own a Bible, um, make that your own. Take it home with you and uh, do all that good stuff. All right. First John chapter four, we are going to be in verse 18 uh, to 20, then we're going to jump to uh, chapter 5, and we're going to go uh, verses, um, let's go 2 to 4. First John, chapter 4, verse uh, 18 to 20, and then uh, we'll pray and we'll get started. This is what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love God, or we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Chapter 5, verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, tonight as we are um, just going and listening to your word and understanding that as things um, are happening through our weeks and through our lives, that we are just changing um, gradually, slowly, and that you're just going to work in us tremendously through this, um, that we have a lot of things to, that we're going to hit tonight, and that just one of those lands in our hearts, God, I just pray that you transform us, you move us, and you allow us to understand things that we might have thought we understood, um, but we really haven't. So allow this to be a great time for us. I just want to pray. Amen. Um, let's just be straight, okay? How many of us um, have ever said, but mom, I love you in a manipulative way ever in their life, okay? Um, 
the majority of you guys who have your hands up, you guys are all honest. The rest of you who had your hands down, dirty liars. You're all dirty liars. Everyone at some point in their life has used, but mom, I love you in a manipulative way. This whole idea of love, which it talks about the whole time through here, is one of those words that we love to use, but we have no idea what it means. That's the problem with it. We use it all the time. In the great story of Samson and Delilah, me and the leaders were talking about it before. Um, Delilah, when she's trying to, this is a, uh, a story in the book of Judges about this guy who has superhuman strength, and he keeps falling for girls, and this girl's name is Delilah. And Delilah, to get Samson to say his secret, says, how do you say that you love me and yet you won't tell me everything? I'm like, come on, that's a guilt trip. You know what I mean? Like that is not good stuff. And she's using this, like how you, the love word, this big L word, come on. As uh, some of you are like, I just want to hear it from a man. Anyways, um, Mariah. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> joking, kidding, sorry, is he too? Okay, uh, so anyways, as we're kind of talking through uh, this stuff, this word's gonna be important for us. This L word, this love word is gonna be super, super important for us because it's talking about something that we have to come to grips with. If we do not come to grips with this concept tonight, you do not understand any of this. Does that make sense? If you do not understand what we are about to talk about, none of this should make sense to you. Because he talks about something that should be so dear and important to our hearts. Look at what it says, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And how many of us are afraid? How many of us have ever gotten afraid before? All of us, every single one of us has. Man, I had a story, um, I like to tell you guys about my family because my family's a bunch of psychos. And uh, I remember being like second grade, going to a family reunion and uh, I'm in like an awkward age for my family. Like I'm the middle group and everyone's younger than me or everyone's older than me. And so now I have to be that kind of person who like, I don't want to hang out with like the noob little kids because they're all like, oh, look at my thumb. I'm like, shut up. Anyway, so, um, and then I want to go hang out with the cool kids, like the older kids. They're not necessarily cool, but they're just older, which makes them feel like be cool or whatever. So I want to hang out with them. So at this family reunion, they go upstairs, they're in a bedroom, they're watching a scary movie. So I'm like, man, I'm like a gangster, right? So I'm gonna roll up in there. And second grade, if you watch the scary movie, you can tell your boys the next day and you're the man, right? Like that's, that's the game plan. So I'm gonna watch the scary movie, I'm gonna tell my boys about it, and I'm gonna be loved and the king for the rest of my life. So I go upstairs and uh, they're watching a movie. And uh, maybe you've never heard of this movie. I definitely uh, wish I've never heard of this movie. The movie's called Chucky, okay? So um, if you do not understand the premise of Chucky, let me give it to you in the, the Cole's Note, yeah, Cole's Notes version of it. Basically, there's this guy, he's a murderer, okay? What do murderers do? They kill people, right? So all of a sudden, somehow, I don't remember how, this murderer gets transformed into a doll, right? And so obviously because his form has changed doesn't mean his heart has, so he's still killing people, right? So now this doll, which you would seem kind of like, ah, this is quite limiting, but he sees it as a challenge. So all of a sudden this little doll thing starts just murking people left and right, right? So how important is a doll or toys to a second grader? My life is over at this point, right? So I see this little doll murking people. I'm like, no, get me out of this room. Now, my older cousin, he's not a little man, right? He's a big boy. He's like, hey, sit down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's about to kill me, right? So I try to get out. I'm like, no, this is too much for me. Like, I'm a little kid, get me out. He grabs me, puts me onto the bed and then sits on me, all right? I'm like, this is 
pure torture. This is, this is, this is hell, right? So that's what I'm kind of thinking of in that moment. And uh, it's awful. And he makes me sit there and watch this, this movie the whole way through. I was traumatized, right? And, um, and, and so I go home that night and it didn't affect me just that one moment. It, it affected me for like the next six years or whatever after that until like eighth grade. Um, I shared uh, for, for a long time because it's just me and my mom. Me and my mom just shared a room, right? Until uh, eighth grade. We just had one room. So she had a bed, I had a bed. And my bed was right up against the wall, right? So I'm not a loser, okay? I don't got the nightlight life, right? I'm not the nightlife guy. Or night, night light, night light. I'm not the night, not night life, but I don't do that either. I mean, okay. Anyway, so I'm not the, uh, I'm not the night light guy. I'm not the guy who needs that little twinkle of light to be like, mm, I'm safe. No, that's dumb. Okay, so I'm the kind of guy, I'm far worse. My bed was up against the wall. So what I did was, because we all know this, the blanket covers all things and protects you from anything, right? So I put the blanket fully over myself and uh, there was like a little crevasse, right? In the wall, between the wall and my bed. And I would stick my face in there as like a breathing apparatus uh, so I wouldn't die and suffocate while I slept with everything completely covered. So, you know, it was awkward when I did sleepovers. Anyway, so um, I'm going through this whole process and, uh, and we all know it, right? So like your feet are outside the blanket. You're like, that's the only thing that either the murderer or the monster is going to go after. They need to be protected. So I would like put them back in. And then times when things were dark, I would know that there's a TV there, but my mind would tell me that's a monster. And it just changed form right in front of me. I don't know. Stuff like this begins to happen. And we all have fears kind of like this, this like dumb, really superficial, we know we should get over them, but we don't, right? We have those all the time, right? There's the fear of going somewhere public and they don't have toilet paper. You can't have somebody to bail you out. There's the fear of taking a shower and forgetting the towel. And then you have to like awkwardly run naked around your house. Um, there's that fear. And then there's deeper fears. There's the fears that are instilled in every single one of us. And they're terrifying. Right, some of my fears are that there are people in my life that I'm fearful of that I'm never going to forgive. There are fears in my life that when I look at my wife, I go, man, I'm fearful that I'm going to be a horrible husband to her. I look at my future and I go, man, I'm fearful that one day I'm not going to be the best dad. Sometimes I'm fearful that I'm not qualified to do this. Sometimes I'm fearful that maybe something I do or something I say will lead one of you away from Jesus. And I'm fearful of times that nobody would actually care about me if I didn't work for this church. These are real things that go through my mind. I'm the kind of person where someone says something to me one way, it sticks in my mind and repeats over and over and over and over again. I get stuck in an idea and I rabbit trail for hours at a time, stuck in my own fears about things that might never, ever happen. And how many of us sit here living life afraid to not say something to our dad this certain way because we're afraid he's going to get mad? Afraid to say that thing to our mom because she might use it against us later in conversation. We're afraid of opening up to anyone because we feel like being vulnerable will mean that we're going to get hurt. How many of us are scared about being by ourselves because being left alone is the scariest possible thing that we could think of? 
how many of us live in a way where we have our church friends, we have our school friends, we have our family, we have this other group of friends, these sports friends. We know everyone, but yet we know no one. We're so divided in our life that, yeah, we have people to say hi to, but no one that actually cares for us. Keeps us accountable. We can be open to. And we're afraid that we're never going to get that in our life. Fear is a big deal. So how does John approach that idea? If you want to be a follower of Jesus in this world, fear will come. So how do you approach it? How do you deal with it? What, do you, what does your mind do in those things? When you get caught up, when you get stuck, this is what he says. Verse 18 again, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So is that word fear in that moment talking about my list of things that I talked about with myself? Is it just the multitude of daily things that are happening? All of those fears. Is that what he's talking about? No. What John's talking about is one specific fear. He says all fears, not as a multitude of them. He says it in a way that's kind of like if your mom said, hey, go clean your room. And you come back and she goes, did you do all of it? Did you do the one thing to completion? That's what it's talking about. It's getting rid of all fear. So what's that one fear? The way that the Bible approaches fear is it says there should be one thing above all else that you should be more scared of than anything. The one thing you should be most scared about over every other possibility of thing. Separation from Jesus. If you're not Christian in a room, flat out, this is the idea of hell. This idea is the scariest idea, the scariest concept that this has to not be with Jesus. This is the scariest thing that this thing has. But what did this just say? Perfect love casts out all fear. So the scariest possible thing that you could ever think of in your life has already been undone by this idea of perfect love. What does that mean, perfect love? It's, it's love at its fullest display. It's love at its utmost. It's love at its, at its greatest, greatest and highest potential. It's love most seen, most known, and most explained and manifested. That's perfect love. So what's perfect love? God on a cross dying on behalf of you. And what does that do? It makes the scariest possible thing undone. So what does that mean for you and I? Talking about all the rest of the stuff. All the rest of the fears. What does that mean to us? It means that God has destroyed the one thing that is most dangerous to you in your life. What are all the rest of the fears compared to that? God 
has defeated and made undone the scariest thing in life. What is any other fear compared to that? Like, I want you to have a picture in your mind right now, okay? Um, there's me, okay? I'm obviously physically intimidating, right? Because I'm kind of awesome. And so all of a sudden, in front of me, um, I have um, a, a massive, okay, Mike Tyson, okay? I have Mike Tyson in front of me. If you guys don't remember Mike Tyson, he was like, ah, boom, killed everyone, right? So Mike Tyson's in front of me. And then I got a five-year-old, okay? So now all of a sudden, I'm fighting Mike Tyson. Now, Obviously, that's going to be an even fight, right? It's my wife. It's my ride or die. All right. Uh, so I'm fighting Mike Tyson, okay? And say I beat up Mike Tyson. I'm like, what's up, player? How you doing? Right? He's down for the count. He's old. I kind of got him because I'm fast. And uh, so I beat Mike Tyson. And then this five-year-old comes up to me, right? He's like, I'm going to knock you out. What am I going to do to that five-year-old? Boom, right? That kid's done. So now here's the idea. Does it make sense for me to beat Mike Tyson in a fight and run away from this? Does it make sense for me to be completely just comfortable and okay with beating the scariest thing and being terrified of just itty bitty things in comparison to that? No. But this is our problem. This is the classic case study all the time, this word love, right? Love. So this happens all the time. I meet with guys, girls, they talk to me about their lives, we chat about things, and this is always what begins to happen. They sit down, they talk about the fact that they feel so alone, and they're chatting about different things, and I go, okay, so what's kind of the situation, what's going on? And they tell me, and, and they kind of say, nobody cares about me, nobody wants to be around me, I feel like I'm super alone, and all of these different things, and I go, okay, um, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? Now, there's something that just happened in the crowd right now, where you might have just put yourself into that place where you came to me and you said, this is my big problem, and I respond, do you know that God loves you? Some of you in your mind just went, yeah, so what? Yeah, what does that have to do with my situation? Yeah, what does that have to do with this? Right there, that thing that happens every single time, where I go, do you know God loves you? And they respond, yeah, but what does that matter if nobody wants to pay attention to me? All that tells me is Jesus is really not the thing that moves your heart. Other people are. At the very core of your being, the deepest part of who you are is not moved by love. It is, it is moved by other people's affirmation by other people's appreciation. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? So all of a sudden, what begins to happen is I will deduce in that situation, man, if you are not moved by God's love in this kind of a way, then you have no idea what it means. You know scary love is? 
It's vulnerability. It's allowing someone else to break you. So if I say I love my wife, and my, if my marriage ends, what happens to me? I'm broken. Why? Because I've allowed myself to be changed. I've allowed myself to be moved. It's scary. And God loved. He loved. He gave you everything. He was vulnerable. Now imagine how many times he has heard people who he has given everything for dismiss his very actions. You know God loves you? Yes, yeah, so what? How many times do you think he's heard that in his life? The scarier question is how many times he's heard that in our lives? Perfect love casts out fear that the only thing that should be the scariest possible thing to you is the very thing that he has already undone. It's the all is, is the thing that he took out and is granted to you, and we sit there like we deserve it. Perfect love casts out fear. And once you understand that love, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus in real life, what does that mean? It means not to live afraid. How many of us, if we're just going to be honest with ourselves, live our lives afraid? What's the number one reason why we don't share Jesus with people? Fear. Fear of being looked at differently. Fear of not really knowing the things that we believe. Fear of being outed. Fear of being beaten in an argument. So we hold things to ourselves and we live life afraid. But just imagine a life that you can have where if God defeats this, the scariest possibility that you have what could he do with this? If you understand that, that changes everything. Because once you get that, something about you begins to change. And this is where the whole series is moving from. Is that once you understand this, now you can go and do this. Once you understand his love, now you can finally love for the first time. Does that make sense? You cannot love unless you've understood love. You will only love people around you as much as you have understood God's love for you. Now pay attention to that. That's game-changing for you. You might think you're awesome at loving people. You might think you are so good at caring and being there and like, oh, I'm just, I'm awesome. You can only love as much as you understand love. It changes everything for you. Perfect love casts out fear. And you love because he first loved you. It changes everything. So one of the things that we have to understand is that in our life, we have to want God to be God. 
wasn't that crazy. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't let it slide. You need God to be God. This is what I mean. Every single time in life that we, we want to just say, man, oh, God, you're the best. Oh, God, you're so good. Oh, God, come on, somebody. Like, God, oh, the Lord Jehovah. Like, we just start saying random holy things just because we want to sound cool, you know? Like, mm, omnipotent, holy, come on, sacrifice of the Lord. Oh, come on. Like, we just do whatever. But sometimes we don't actually mean that. Because all over the rest of our lives, all we want to do is just find control over things. And the number one thing that we do not live our life by is this whole idea of dependence. We do not depend on God at all at times. We live in fear. We try to do it our own way. And we never let God come into the picture. Listen, there is a very big difference between letting God be God or wanting God to be God and wanting God's help. We tend to be the kind of people who only want God's help. When there begins to be something that I can't control, now I'll go to him. But in every other circumstance, it's all me. I got it. I'm the one who's going to do it. But what does John say here? It's really interesting that he says these things. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a what? A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How scary is that for us? How, how terrifying is that for us? Read it one more time. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So what I want you to do is I want you to sit there and I want you to think of a couple of relationships of people who you really don't like. And then I want you to think, what is this saying? If you love God, you do not hate them. The amount that you understand this is equivalent to how much you love here. So what does it mean if you do not love here? You do not understand this. And that's a scary spot. To love, to care, to give away a part of yourself. That's what loving is. To give parts of yourself away. If I do not love that person, it means I do not get what this is. And yet we go away all the time through our lives talking about how much we love God, we love Jesus. Oh man, we go to church. We're so good. And all it's bringing out to us constantly over and over and over again is this yells at us over and over and says, you do not get it. And the main problem for us is that we think we do. We think we do. 
And then it carries on. Verse 2, chapter 5. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That we keep the commandments of the Lord. Right, we've talked about this a couple times. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is giving the absolute witness to the kingdom. Remember the first week of this series? What was one of the things that you need to do as light and darkness? Witness. You have to live in such a way that people automatically want God. Which means what? You can't be living afraid. You have to live in this joyous fashion because you're loved. If you're loved, everything changes for you. If you understand love, everything changes for you. So if you love the children of God, you will keep his commandments. And one of the things that Jesus says is, listen, you do not partake in worship if you have an issue with someone else. So if you have an issue with someone else, leave, go fix it with them, then come back and we're good. That's crazy. If you know that you are the beloved, if you know that you love the children of God, you will keep his commandments. And you know what's scary? His commandments are hard. It's hard to look in the face of someone who's betrayed you over and over and over again. It's hard to look in the face of someone who has absolutely ruined you over and over and over again. It's somebody who knows that sweet spot, the very thing that's going to destroy you, and they keep bringing it up over and over and over and over. How do you love them? How do you care for them? That's the call of how to be a follower of Jesus in this world. You love even when people don't love you back. That's your job. So at school, the person who constantly harasses you about things, or maybe you're in the room and you have this thing in your mind that Christians are so judgmental all the time, whatever, you live in a fear of live, doing something and everybody will just make fun of you because you have to you know, live up to this Christian lifestyle. You've made mistakes in the past and people keep bringing them up. How do you love them? It's the whole idea of love is you will be vulnerable. You will give up. You will give something of yourself away to even the people who you hate the most. That's terrifying. But you have to have a vision of this, of how life is completely different under the reign of Jesus. You have to want it. You have to see Jesus. You have to see the way that he acts. There's something about you that needs that. You can't just do this because, ah, oh, that guy guilt tripped me into doing it. No, that means you're going to do it for two days and then you're going to go back to normal. You have to want a vision of what the intended end is to want to go after it. Right? This is what happens in schools all the time. How many of us hate French? Right? French class. Which is interesting. Did you know that in North America, second language courses are the most failed classes? Because nobody cares about them. Isn't it interesting? Everywhere outside of North America, second language classes are the most successful classes. Why? 
Because if you're living in Honduras, if you're living in Brazil, if you're living in China, if you're living in Germany, if you're living in Croatia or South Africa, what you begin to see is if I learn English, my life is completely different. If I learn English, my life will forever change. We don't have that about French. You know, we're like, I can already say poutine. Like, that's all I need. <laughs> but what's different? You don't care because you don't have a vision. But everybody else does. So if you actually want to fulfill your calling in the following of Jesus, you have to want a vision of what that looks like. And the only vision that you should have of what Christianity should be is Jesus himself. Man, if you don't know him, I dare you to take one of those Bibles and just read up on what he does. It will forever change your life. To just see a vision of what life could truly be for the first time. To what it looks like to be a human made alive. To see someone give everything that he has. Changes everything. That's the last thing I want to bring up, and, uh, and it's this. That in this, that we love because he first loved us, that there is that idea of giving, of giving away something. That if we want to be a follower of Jesus, we have to imitate this kind of a thing. So it's interesting that we have this really weird understanding of what giving is in the church, or even as humans. We have this really weird idea. I'm going to put a quote up, and I want you to follow along with it. There's going to be two sections, and this is what it says. The most widespread misunderstanding is that which assumes that giving is giving up something being deprived of, sacrificing people whose main orientation is a non-productive one feel giving is as an impoverishment. You're making yourself more poor by giving something away. The virtue of giving to them lies in the very act of acceptance or sacrifice. Man, I'm giving because it's good for me to give things away and sacrifice oh, my time, my money. I'm so holy. Look at me sacrifice things. We give up things, right? Love, in essence, is you giving up you, right? We all know it. Maybe some of us don't even tithe. We have jobs. We work, some of us. Never had the idea to ever give money. Never had the idea of giving up our time for other people around us because we have a problem with selfishness, to giving our efforts, to serving and if we do, we get guilt-tripped into it. We say, man, I'm sacrificing for the Lord. That's giving to us. But look at what he says here. This is a really interesting. But for the productive character, giving has an entirely different meaning. Giving is the highest expression of potency, of, of power. It's the highest expression of power. In the very act of giving, I experience my strength, my wealth, my power. The experience of heightened vitality fills me with joy. I experience myself as overflowing, spending, alive, hence as joyous. Giving is more joyous than receiving, not because it is deprivation, but because in the act of giving lies the expression of my aliveness. 
That in giving of myself, I am allowing myself to feel even more alive. That's crazy to think about. And this is what I mean. If I go to a funeral and I have flowers and there's the casket at the front, what can that dead body do? That dead body can receive. And what can the dead body not do? Give anything in return. The whole idea of giving something, of giving of yourself, which is the highest potential of what love is, is something that allows you to show just how alive you are. To love people around you is to show them how alive you really are. It changes everything. A man made alive is not one who spends time living in fear. I hope that hits us. Because this is why we should feel most alive. Because we belong to one who has overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world. It's this beautiful part, the end of 1 John, where it says something about us. Because he has overcome the world. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You have to live your life in regular every day, at home, at school, at your workplace, on your team, whatever it is. You have to live a life that shows people you won. It shows that that you've won. You have to live life right now like it's the fourth quarter and you're up 40. Have you ever seen basketball players who are up 40 points? They're throwing trick shots. They're doing stupid things the whole way through. Right, there's a game between uh, the, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics. They're beating, they're beating them like 35 points or something like that. One of the guards of the losing team says something to the guard of the winning team, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving responds with, Look at the scoreboard and walks away. That's the attitude of someone who knows that they've won. Now tell me if in that moment that guy's fearful, if he's scared. No. How much sense would it be that after they won, the the guys on the winning team goes into the locker room and start crying, start moping around? It wouldn't at all. And yet if we're real with ourselves, some of us live our life that way. The biggest change for the people around you is for you to truly live the way that you're called to live. And the way that you are called to live is live in a way that you understand the victory that's been won for you and understand because you're attached to that victory, you have also overcome the world. If we had a room of people like that, if we had a a group that went and just destroyed the city with love, everything would be different. Nothing would be the same. Because you love, because he first loved us. But this equals how much we understand this. What does life and distortion look like? 
it looks like no matter what you do, you love. Non-collaboration in love. Witness in love. Critique in love. Because that's who you are. And that's what he's won for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these students that as we, as we are about to end here, God, I pray that we would just sink into these ideas, that we would look at our own lives, we would spend time to reflect about things that we have, God, that you would change us, that maybe things have kind of just convicted us about, do we actually understand what the cross even was? And we would take the time to grab our Bibles. And if we don't have one, to maybe just take the step and just to grab one, to open it up and see what really happened on Calvary. See what really happened on that cross and allow that very thing to make us different. Allow us to be the ones who in victory live a life in distortion. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Jesus, I wanna pray, amen. This is what I want us to do. For the last couple of weeks, what we've had here is we showed a video of a story. And we had all of these students come up here and share to you things about their lives. Number one, I can't even tell you how unimaginably proud I am of all of those people. You know how hard it is to walk up here and share your dirtiest secret to a room full of possible strangers? There's something that should happen in stories, which is the most beautiful thing. And anything that you watch, any story, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, everything, everything, I don't know, whatever story you begin to look at, there's a sense of you that enters in. You put yourself into a position. You try to see it from their perspective. So what I want to do for this last bit is that as the band begins to vamp, I want you to think about the stories that you've heard of I want you to think of all the messages that have run through in the last couple of weeks. I want you to think about this idea of love. I want you to think about how it's your responsibility to love, how the biggest possible love that you have is to lead someone to Jesus, that this is love made manifest, and that that's your responsibility, not mine, that you are called to present the gospel, that you are called to love people, and some of you might be asking, man, how do I even do that? You have a story of how God saved you as he, as, as he provided for your needs. You have a story, just like all of these students have. That's what I want you to think about. I want us to take time to not talk to anyone, not to do this in group, by yourself, whether in your seats or you can find a place on the wall or whatever it is that you want. Spend time and reflect. Meditate on your own life. Look at your own mistakes. Look at your own problems. That's what I want you to think of. How does your story change a life? How does your story make a difference? And how is God using you for the greater good of all the people who are around you. So you guys can go now, find a place,
and spend the next 10 minutes just reflecting on the series, on your life, and most importantly, your own story.